Good morning, church. When uh, I came up on the schedule for reading this morning, I texted Jackie and I said, uh, what scriptures do you want? And as usual with me, he said, the whole chapter, the whole enchilada. So we're going to be reading all of chapter 10 today. I'm in uh, reading from an ESV version. If you would like to follow along. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, and no, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer labor deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. If you enter the house, greet it, and if the house is worthy, let your peace be, come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust of your feet when you leave the house or the town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep amidst, in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over the courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who, is, who will speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the, and the father of his child, and the child will raise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated, by, hated for all by my, for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in the town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all of these towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes again. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those who of the, his household? So have, no fear, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. I will tell you in the dark, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. 
And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even, but even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than, he, more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is righteous, a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you this morning and we just give you all glory and praise, Father. Lord, we uh, pray for your word this morning. We pray for Jackie's teaching that uh, we have open hearts and minds that we might hear what you have for us today and incorporate it in our lives. Lord, we know that uh, you're in control and though we don't always know what's going on or why it's happening, we trust in you. We know that the church is under attack. And we know that you've given us a job to do, Father. So, Lord, we'd give us the courage and the knowledge and the will to pass through persecution, which is coming, and do your will, Father. Lord, we just pray these things through Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> hey, little ones are free. All right, everybody's excited for church this morning to come and talk about persecution. When we look, when we look at chapter 10 of Matthew, I want to remind you of a few things. It will help us when it comes to our interpretation of biblical text. And that is we want to understand first... What was the author's point? Who is the author speaking to? And what is he speaking about? And all the things we're going to look at this morning are all things. Every single verse was something that was fulfilled in the life of the disciples. When we understand proper interpretation, it helps us make better application of what does this chapter then mean for me? How has this worked out in my life? 
what is he telling me? And I think the section we're going to be looking at, am I dying? Am I alive? Oh, is it just in my head? No, it's not in my head? <laughs> Thank you, Lord. One of the things we, see, we recognize going through this chapter is this idea. The world will attack the Jesus in you. If the world can't see the Jesus in you, you'll be fine. That's another way of looking at it. Well, you'll be fine here. The question that we have to ask ourselves when we look at this, there's several things I think. We're going to look from verses 16. Last time we covered up to verse 15. We're going to look from verse 16 to the end of the chapter, hopefully. And as we work our way through it, as we take a look at it, there's several things that we want to see in regard to that. The first thing is, what's the attitude we're supposed to have? What's the attitude Jesus was telling the disciples to have? In verse 16, he tells us, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. As far as I know, there is no high school mascot where they have chosen the sheep. Right? There's not a football team that I am aware of that is called the sheep. Because when you think about sheep, you're not usually afraid. Right? I guess if there's enough of them, maybe. But for the most part, Sheep do not instill us with fear. Anybody had a, a nightmare where you were being chased by a sheep? <laughs> Probably not, right? So when we look at the text, listen to what Jesus is saying to his disciples. I'm sending you as sheep to wolves. I'm sending, when do you ever do that? Usually you got these big, giant, great Pyrenees dogs that protect the herd from the wolves but jesus is saying to his disciples here's the attitude i want you to have i'm sending you as sheep and he gives them this challenge be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves now one of the things a lot of times we wrestle with the idea what well, what does he mean wise as serpents and We'll look at the scripture, and the scripture will tell us that the serpent was the most cunning animal. If we go back to Genesis, we can read that. We, we, we recognize also that in the ancient world, one of the symbols of wisdom was the serpent. And there's a reason for that. Because a serpent does not have arms or legs, yet somehow can get away and get in places you can't imagine. I'm thankful that I do not live in Florida. Because in Orlando, Florida, a man discovered a 25-foot boa in his basement. Now, I know many of us don't like snakes. Nobody likes a 25-foot snake. Nobody. How in the world did a 25-foot snake get in the basement? Well, in the ancient world, they would say, those serpents are wise they get in places. They're able to get into and out of places that maybe you wouldn't be able to figure out how to get in or out of. The Lord challenges the disciples, be wise like serpents. In a moment, he's going to say, he's going to talk about persecution. And when a serpent is persecuted, for the most part, there are a few species that are different. But when a snake is pestered, 
they first will get away. And they're pretty quick. When I was a kid, we used to try to catch these snakes called red racers. You guys ever heard of red racers? Red racers are fast. You would not believe how fast they are, how quick they can get in a tree, how quick they disappear. So this is going to be something that I think we're going to see in the text as we continue, not only to be wise like serpents, our ability, I think, to, to enter into opportunities and to get out of bad places, but also to be innocent or harmless as doves. Again, when we think about doves, where it's similar to sheep, right? When I go outside and I see the doves that all, every year come back to my house and nest in my house, I'm, I'm never filled with fear. And so when I, when I see that, I want to see the attitude that is pouring out of the disciples. They want to be like sheep in the middle of wolves. The, the attack should be coming from the wolf, not the sheep. We, we lose sight of that sometimes, right? Sometimes we get so focused on arguing our point, we forget sheep aren't supposed to bear their fangs. That doesn't mean we don't speak the truth, right? But we're not threatening in the way that we do it. We do it as sheep before the wolves. Understanding, did Paul ever feel the crowd turn on him? A day ever try to eat him? Well, in the temple once they tried to pull him apart. That's pretty close, isn't it? So... But Paul wasn't there lopping off heads, was he? No. He was sent as sheep among wolves. He was sent to share the gospel in a hostile environment. And I think that's the point. The world is a hostile environment. The ideas in the world are a hostile environment. And we as the church and as believers need to stop saying, well, it's just, it's just a little off. How much is too much? Saying it's just a little off has got us where we are today. Where apparently you need a degree in biology to know the difference between men and women. And, and apparently you, you uh, are not allowed to go against the think tank. Because if you do, you're dumb. The wise people can see that the emperor has invisible clothes. That's the world we're in. So we need to think about how it is that the Lord wants us to enter into that world. He wants us to be aware of what we'll face. Look at, the, look at verse 17, the very first words Jesus says, beware of men. He doesn't say trust in men. He doesn't say hope in men. He says beware of men. Because if we've been around long enough, we've all been disappointed by men. Right? Mankind. That includes women. Sorry, ladies. We have all been let down by one or the other. Beware of men. Why? Because there's going to be persecution. And the source of that persecution is going to come out of two places, basically, that Jesus is sharing with his disciples. There's going to be a religious persecution that's going to come from the institution of the church 
and there's going to be political persecution, which will come from whatever government is in power. That's not new. It's how it was when Jesus was here from the beginning. He says, beware men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in the synagogues. This is the kind of persecution the disciples faced when Jesus was raised and ascended to be at the right hand of the Father. It wasn't very long before the same court that found Jesus guilty and crucified him had the disciples standing before them. They commanded him not to teach in the name of Jesus and had them flogged. And their next prayer was a prayer for boldness that they would not stop teaching in Jesus' name. They stood boldly before those same men. They will deliver you over to courts and flog you in the synagogue. That was religious persecution at the time of the disciples. In, in fact, Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. What is it that Paul is, is boasting in? The suffering that he had in the name of Jesus Christ. Not because he understood more, saw more. It was because he kept putting himself out there for Jesus and he kept being persecuted. In fact, he goes on to say, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Or we call that 39 lashes, right? It's mercy because you didn't get all 40. Three times beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. There's a lot of things that Paul faced in order to stand with Jesus. Because Jesus said, if you stand with me, the servant is not greater than the master. What they did to me, they'll do to you. They crucified Jesus, remember? There's only one disciple out of the 12 that's, not going, that's going to die of natural causes. The rest of them will die as a result of persecution in one place or another as they share the gospel. He also says you will be persecuted politically. Look at the next part of the verse. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. James, the first of the disciples to be martyred, was drugged before Herod. He was brought before the king. And as James stood before the king, Herod took his head. He saw it please the people, you may remember, so he arrested Peter to do the same. That's when the church began praying for Peter. You remember the story? The angels go loose him from his, his uh, bonds and he's set free again. And sometimes when we look at that, we might ask ourselves a question. Well, what did James do? Why, why, did he, why was he beheaded and Peter got to escape? And I say, I don't know. God is my king. He's my sovereign 
There are some that he has called to be martyrs, and there are some that he will allow to escape. Blessed be the name of the Lord. One of the ways we can tell whether or not the Lord is our king is when he allows something into our life we don't like. Then we can ask ourselves truly, is the Lord my king? Or only my king if he does what I think he should do? It's an important question to ask ourselves. There will be assuredly persecution and it will come from religious circles and it will come from political circles. Surely we can see the handwriting on the wall in our time, no? We see it in other places around the world. There are sections of the scripture that you cannot preach from in Canada because the Bible has been declared hate speech. And man will have to make the decision when he faces that, whether he will be obedient to God or to man. The Lord says, I am sending you out as sheep among the wolves. In verse 19, he says, and when they deliver you over, do not be anxious about what you will speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who will speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. One of the things we understand when we see this persecution that will come is the reality that there will be, we will give account both to man and to God. And a lot of people before they have to face persecution are fearful of what they will do if they face it. And here the Lord says, don't be afraid. Don't be worried. There's a source of our persecution, the world, and we will speak in it. Paul, when he was brought before Agrippa in Acts 26, he stood before a king, right? Just like Jesus said, you're going to be brought before kings. He stood before King Agrippa, and King Agrippa said, you have permission to speak. And Paul preached the sermon. And the sermon that Paul preached, he was given by the Spirit. The Lord led him to what to share, what to say. And this is what the Lord is declaring to us. When they deliver, don't be anxious. Does worry ever help anybody? Stressing out over things, that ever helped you? Has anybody ever had a really stressful day and a stressful night and slept like a baby? The Bible challenges us, right? Be anxious for nothing. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. What does the Bible tell us to do instead of worry? Pray. Don't worry. Pray. Pray to the Lord. And what's the promise? The promise is in Philippians 4, 7. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. And let God's peace come upon you. That peace comes as we find ourselves submitted before the king. Okay, Lord. When I make peace, most of the time my anxiety, my anxiousness is 
over the illusion that I somehow have overcome the sovereignty of God and now I find myself in a struggle that I have created and I don't know if God can get me out of it. But in reality, God has been working in my life all along. I may have been rebellious, I may have been disobedient, but God's grace is able to overcome our failures, isn't it? So we don't need to be anxious about that. We just need to trust God. And when we don't trust God, we pray. And we ask God to help us. Just like that father we'll read about one day as we continue through the gospel of Matthew. That Jesus said, if you have enough faith, your son can be made well. And that father said, I, I believe, Lord, I believe. Help my Lord, I trust you. Help my distrust. Lord, help me. God wants us to find ourselves before a holy God, calling upon his name, not worrying, but rather trusting. Why? Because the words will be given. For it will not be you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. God will work. Even if you find yourself in a horrible place, maybe you find yourself in prison for your faith because you are on the mission field. Maybe you find yourself arrested for standing for a biblical premise that is deemed uh, illegal in our world. Whatever the case, don't worry. God will use your opportunity to speak to help you bear witness to the truth. God will be glorified in the speaking that will be done. He also wants us to understand the antagonism is not only going to be outside of the family, right? It says in verse 21, brother will deliver brother over to death. Father, his child, children will rise against parents and have them put to death. This was all things that were uh, experienced by that first generation after Christ. The disciples experienced all of this. The disciples and their converts and those who came to faith afterwards, we read about it in Acts chapter 6 when we see persecution push the church out of Jerusalem and into the rest of the world, right? Remember Stephen being stoned? You remember the antagonism that they felt? Six million Christians were killed in the Roman Empire. That's a lot. Far more have been put to death in the 20th century. It hasn't gone away. What they experienced is still with us today, that the world is antagonistic toward the gospel. But Jesus says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. There's nothing in a sheep that has the ability to overcome a wolf. Nothing. They're not super strong. They don't jump super high. They don't run super fast. There's nothing they have. If a sheep is to have victory over a wolf, it will be because of another force acting on its behalf. If you're going to have victory over the wolves of this world, it will be by the Spirit of God working in you before them. It's not us. 
It's not something I'm going to get. You may have incredible gifts of singing, and God may use that. You may have incredible gifts of, of or incredible oratory skills, the ability to speak, and God may use that. But if you overcome the wolves, it will be because of the Spirit of God working in you and through you, because you're a sheep. And this is what Jesus wants them to understand. Jesus is the dividing point. Have you experienced that in your life? There are times when you choose to stand with Christ or what the scripture lays out for us and you will find antagonism within your own family. Anybody experience that? Here's what Zechariah had to say about it. If anyone again prophesies, his father and mother who bore him will say to him, you shall not live. For you speak lies in the name of the Lord, and the father and mother who bore him will pierce him through when he prophesies. Zechariah said there would come a day when people would not want to hear the word of the Lord so much that they'll do everything they can to silence him. Whatever he's doing, whatever he's saying, they don't want to hear. Hold hands over ears and go, la, 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 I can't hear you, I can't hear you. That was something that they experienced, and that's something we can expect in our world. These are things that are common unto man. There's an anger in the world against the Spirit of God. In verse 22, he says, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. When we stand in Christ, when you make the choice to say, you know, this is as far as, as I can go. This, Christ has said this. I'm going to stand in this reality. They're, they'll hate you. It's not hard to see. It's not hard to see. The only way we don't see it is if we close our eyes to what is going on. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end. He shall be saved. One of the questions that I ask myself in 25 years of doing ministry is, what will make you quit? I have this little voice in my head that always says, it's too soon to quit. And I have another one in my head that says, man, it would be nice just to sit on a beach somewhere and just give it up. But the one who endures to the end, the one that doesn't give up, the one that continues faithful before the Lord God. Because our goal, our, our greatest desire is to be found faithful to God. We want to be faithful to him. May that be our supreme desire, faithfulness to God. And if it is, then our supreme desire fear would be to be unfaithful i don't want to be unfaithful i don't want to quit i don't want to turn back i want to follow the lord i want to stand with him have you not seen people the bible told us in the in the last days perilous times would come men would become lovers of themselves anybody seen that when we look at the things that the that the scripture lays out for us the things that we would see you know, moving forward in time, awaiting that our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, looking for his return. And as we do, the world is, is 
not slowing down its hatred, is it? It's the same. It's the same. He is sending us out as sheep among wolves. Matthew 24, 9 says, They will deliver you up to tribulation. They will put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, this is our hopeful part, we are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus might be manifest. Always caring about within us that which Christ has done for us. The Bible tells John 3.16, everybody loves it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But the scripture tells in the very next verse, he did not come to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. And then it goes on to say, and this is the condemnation of the world. Light came, but men loved the darkness. Mankind is already on his way to hell. Jesus Christ came that we might have life. That we might be saved. That we would put our hope and trust. So Paul says, I walk around with this beautiful gift that Christ has given me. And because I have this beautiful gift within me that Christ has given me, I'm not crushed. I don't despair. I'm not forsaken. I'm not destroyed. I want the light of Christ to be seen in my life for others. <clears throat> when Paul was called, uh, Ananias stood before him and, and the Lord had told Ananias, go to my servant uh, and you're going to touch him. He's blind now, but you're going to make him able to see. For I will show him all the things he will suffer for my name's sake. And Paul went through a lot of things, right? But he said, I do not consider this present suffering worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in me. That glory that there will be when we see Jesus Christ face to face. When we see that which he has ultimately provided for us. So while there will be anger from the world and, and anger from, uh, from one's family and there will be struggles that we will see because of our faith in Christ, he goes on and <clears throat> In verse 23 to say, And when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say, you will not have gone through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Daniel chapter 7, we understand this title, this phrase, the Son of Man. In Daniel chapter 7, what we see is the Son of Man ascending before the Ancient of Days. And the Ancient of Days gives him a throne and a kingdom. So when he talks about the idea of the Son of Man coming, he, he may be talking about the idea of Jesus ascending into heaven and receiving the kingdom. 
And we are longing for the return of the king, right? To his rightful kingdom. This is his kingdom, his place. It may be that he's talking about that. But this phrase can also be used to describe the Lord coming in judgment. You guys have read Revelation before, right? Revelation 19, when the Lord comes back, they call that the battle of what? The battle of Armageddon. Is that a time of judgment? Well, it says that the Lord will call all the flesh-eating birds from around the world to gather in the plains of Megiddo. That sounds bad, right? I think one of the reasons that the Lord sent the disciples to the cities of Israel, and one of the reasons why Paul would fulfill this part in his calling, where everywhere Paul went, he would go to the synagogue first, right, if they had one. He would go to the Jew first, and then to the Greek, to the Gentile. He would share this gospel where he went. And I believe the reason was because the judgment upon the nation of Israel was coming sooner. The judgment on Israel was 30-some years away. And the Lord is saying, you will not evangelize all of Israel before that judgment comes. You won't have gone through every city before Titus Vespasian is going to surround the city. And then the Lord says, if you see these things, get out and pray that it's not on the Sabbath. If you're on the hill, don't go down in your house to pack. Just get out. And one of the incredible things that we see in the destruction of, of Jerusalem in 70 AD is that the people who listened to that warning were all believers who said, the Lord said this would come. And when it comes, get out of Dodge. And so they did. But judgment came upon the nation of Israel for rejecting her Messiah. Yes, that's what Jesus said. Read about it in Luke 19. So he may be referring to that before, before the Son of Man comes. If you remember Jesus when he stands before the, the high priest, he's going to declare to the high priest who are making judgment on him that you're guilty of blasphemy and what more need do we have to hear this? Jesus said, you will see the Son of Man in the clouds coming. That, that description is a description of the Son of Man coming in judgment. You, the high priest, are judging me, but it won't be very long before you will be standing before me in judgment. That's a scary phrase, no? So he lays out for them. You will not have gone. Is the job of evangelism ever done? Never. The job of evangelism is never done. Till you see your Savior standing before your face, we have a job. He said, go therefore into all the world, every nation, make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them the things that I, Jesus Christ, taught you. And lo, I am with you even unto the end of the age. It never ends. That doesn't stop. There's not a point where the world gets so crazy that God says, you know what, stop telling them about me. He's not going to do that. We have received our mission, our commission. It will not stop. You don't stop preaching until you see the Son of Man. 
He says in verse 24, disciples not above his teacher, a servant is not above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. Do we want to be like Jesus? Do we want to be like him? Now, a lot of people struggle with what this is like. He had a lot of charges against him. He hangs out with tax collectors and sinners. But he was never charged with being a tax collector or sinner. The challenge was he went to the lowly of the world, to the outcast, to the ones who maybe would recognize their position, but he did not become them. Remember, we've talked about the idea that in their minds, in mankind's mind, and the teaching of the Old Testament to the Jew was, if I'm clean and I touch unclean, I become unclean. So it's no wonder that they said you can't hang out with those people because you'll become like them. Until who? Until Jesus. He showed us when he walked up to a leper and he touched him. And that which was unclean became clean. And then he started doing it everywhere. He started healing the blind and nobody had ever seen. He's touching the dead which would make the living unclean. But instead, the dead came to life again. Jesus Christ did not become sin in the sense that he became like them. He bore our sin. And the scripture says that he who knew no sin became sin for me. The, a, a, a proper translation would say he became my sin sacrifice. He became my sins. He bore my sin upon him that I might be made clean, that I could come to him. Just like Isaiah, in the, in, the, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up his train, filled the temple, and Isaiah standing before a holy God said, I'm unclean. And what did God do? He took a coal from the altar. He touched his lips and said, your sin is purged. That's what Jesus Christ does for us. He did not become sin, but he was willing to go to sinners. And when he went to sinners, he bore the truth out. He spoke the truth in love. And the sinners would respond, some, and others would reject. And that's the same thing we'll experience. Isn't it? Some will respond. Some will reject. He goes on to say, it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they called the master the house of Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? They called Jesus the Lord of the filth because he would go to the filthy so they called him Lord of the filth. He said, if they called me that, they'll call you that too. The distinction that we have to remember is Jesus did not become filth. He was holy. He made them holy. And we want to be like Christ. Philippians 1.29 says, it has been granted to you 
that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also, also suffer for his sake. They will treat us as they treated him. But our anxiety is not helpful. Verse 26, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. He's not talking about gossip. He's talking about the things that he, the Lord God, speaks in our heart. Share that. My wife often likes to ask people for their God story. And what did we mean by that is how God is moving in your life. Tell us what God has done for you. Tell us how, what God has shown you in his word. Share those things with us and, and we will all be uh, made better for that sharing. We want to be uh, men and women who are willing to share the things that the Lord has given us. What he has told us in the dark, in those places of intimacy in those places of isolation in those places where we are out of the light bring to the light it does us no good if we have an experience of god and god works on us and he shows us something in his word and we don't tell anybody so he says bring those things to light bring them to light bring them where people are able to see the things whispered proclaim herald from the housetops that people will hear. Don't be afraid of those who can kill your body. For the disciples, that was very real. For you and I, currently, it's less real. It's not very often one of us is going to go share our faith at the gas station and get killed for it. But for them, the disciples, it was real. And the Lord is saying to them, look, when you do this, when you see this, don't be afraid of the one who can hurt you or kill your body. Don't put fear in man who can kill the body. Fear God, who has power over the body and the soul. Fear God. You can't fear both. If you fear man, you will not fear God. And if you fear God, you will not fear man. So we want to stand in that place where we fear God. The Lord. The fear of man is a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be safe. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, self control. So we trust in God and we are not afraid of what man can do. He does what he does. He says in verse 29, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are numbered. It's hard to just let that one go. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. A sparrow that had very little value in their world, the Lord said, not one of them dies that God doesn't know. And he knows the hairs on your head. You are of more value to him. God does not do things in our life that are for our, for our destruction and his glory. He does what is for our good and his glory. And he asks us to trust him. So what's the key? What's going to guide us 
and lead us through the challenges that lie before us, the challenges of persecution and, and a world with a witness that does not compromise. How do we do it? This is the end. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. This is one of the chief purposes of baptism. We're going to have a baptism this morning right after service. And the point is to make a public proclamation of my faith in Christ. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I trust him. And then the act of baptism is I go beneath the water. I am dead. And then I am raised to new life. I have died to the old. I am risen to the new. Jesus Christ. We're illustrating what Jesus Christ has already done in our lives. Baptism doesn't save us. It may make us a little cleaner, but it doesn't save us. Our profession. How are we going to have the witness that doesn't compromise in the, in the fear of man? How will we have that? We need to acknowledge him publicly. You ever try to be a secret admirer of Jesus and you're miserable? Anybody ever done that? I'm a secret admirer of Jesus. I, I really believe, but I don't want anybody else to know. The Lord says here, the key, make your confession. Everyone who acknowledges me before man, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Whoever denies me before man, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And the point is not to, to draw out this distinction between the person who's struggling to have a witness in public. The point is there are men and women who acknowledge the Lord and there are men and women who deny him. And the Lord says, if you want to have victory, the victory that I have wrought by my death, burial, and resurrection, the ascension and the receiving of the kingdom from the Father, you want to experience that reality, you want to experience that 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 glory in him, then you choose. You are either for me or against me. No middle ground? Is there any middle ground? No middle ground. The lukewarm was not just a little Christian and a little lost, right? The lukewarm was vomit. That's not good, right? So we want to be of those who have acknowledged the Lord. We are choosing to stand with him. Jesus said, do not think I came to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. Why? Because if you choose to stand with Christ, you, there are things you stand against. There's no way to be for Christ and for everything else. You can't. He doesn't give us that ability. We're either for him or we're for something else. So he's saying, look, when you choose to stand with me, that will be a dividing point. The world will turn against that. There will be antagonism. Jesus said, I have come to set a man against father, mother against daughter, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. A person's enemies will be those of his own household. Not because there's something that you've done or said. It will be because you are choosing to acknowledge Christ. In their world, I just want you to understand, he's literally talking to people, real people in a real world for whom once a year they would have to stand before their communities, before the leaders of a Roman legion. And they would walk over and they would take a pinch of incense and they would declare, 
Kaiser est curios. Caesar is God. And then they would throw that pinch of incense on the fire in the face of everyone looking at them. And they would make their declaration, I am for Rome. Six million Christians died because they came to that altar and they said, Christ est curios. Jesus is Lord. I'm for Christ. And he said, when you make that stand like that before a hostile world, it will bring division between the people you're closest to. That's why Jesus is going to say that we want to trust him above all others. He says in verse 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He said, he who looks at his father and says, if I, if I make this proclamation for Christ, then, well, I'm going to hurt my dad. So I'm going to say, Rome is God. Then Jesus says, you're not worthy of me. Whoever, whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. The point is, this is a, this is a deciding point. You are either for him or no middle ground. We all agreed, right? No middle ground. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Jesus said to the world, come and follow me. Where was he going? He was going to Calvary. That's why he says, pick up your cross and follow me. Come with me. No matter what it looks like, no matter what it costs, we are those who confess Christ. Amen? We're those who confess Christ. Why are you like this? Well, because I at least the lines are clear. Whoever finds his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever thinks the chief, woo! Wow, yes, Lord. I know, I'm hurrying. Whoever thinks that his life is more important than standing for Christ will lose his life. But whoever recognizes that standing for Christ is more important will find his life, his purpose. What's the chief purpose of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what the scripture teaches. That's how we find our life. But if I try to save it by not standing for Christ, these disciples are going to have to face Rome. And they're going to say, I stand with Jesus. And some of them will die for it. So Jesus is indicating this. He wants them to understand. And then he goes on. Whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, receives a prophet's reward. The one who receives a righteous person, because he's a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. Whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of water, because he is my disciple, truly I say he will by no means lose his reward. means any part you play in the kingdom of God comes with a reward. 
whether it's to help a prophet, whether it's to help a righteous person, whether it's to help a disciple, whether you're even giving a cup to a little one. There's, God wants you to know he values it all. When you stand for him, it matters to the Lord. So the scripture would declare to us, let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. Don't give up. Stand, trust, hope in Christ, and he will deliver us in it, through it, from it. He's the king. Whichever way he takes us. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with us? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for what you have provided us, Lord. As we look at this, this, this interaction between Jesus Christ and his disciples who faced all of these things and who made the decision, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. But what if it costs me something? They said, I won't turn back. What if they want to, what if it's within my family? What if my, what if my father says he, he'll disown me? I have decided to follow Jesus. What if my children won't be around me anymore? I have decided to follow Jesus. What if the world wants to destroy me? I have decided to follow Jesus. This is the declaration that Jesus is looking for in the world. The one who will stand up and say, I have decided to follow Jesus. I love my children, but my children may not choose to follow Jesus, but it won't stop me. I have decided to follow Jesus. I I love my wife, but if my wife does not follow Jesus, I'm not going to leave Jesus because my wife does not want to follow him. I am for Christ. A lot of people in the world, they look around and they say, I don't know, I don't know what you're about, who you are. We spend time trying to be chameleons. We spend time just trying to fit in and blend in with everyone else. We, and and in, in turn, nobody knows who you are. One of the things I appreciated about wearing colors was everybody knew what that color stood for. Now, I no longer want to wear colors of the world. I no longer want to wear the colors of of a gang or a group or whatever. But I do want my color to be clear. That I am for Christ. That I stand with him. So Lord we pray in this time. As we're gathered before you God. That your spirit would move and work in the hearts of men. And we're going to close in a song of worship. But we want to invite all those who want to be able to make that proclamation. Maybe you've, you've never cast your cares upon the Lord. Maybe you You've never entrusted your soul to him. Maybe you don't know Jesus.
We're going to have uh, elders and, and deacons around the sanctuary, and we're going to close in a worship song. And I just want to invite you, if you don't know him, come, come forward to one of those guys, and they will lead you. They will show you the way. I pray that each and every one in this place today will make the decision to say, even though everything is against me, I have decided to follow Jesus. At the close of the song, we have a couple of folks being baptized, so we'll meet around the, the, the baptismal for that, that close of the service. And so, Lord, we pray your blessing upon it all. In Jesus' name, amen.